right, take your Bibles with me. Take them over to Hosea. I should have told you that before we had testimonies. Amen. I want to thank the Lord for my wife. We had had company planned to come over today, and she was going to cook for 14, which is a number of people. But by the time I got home, I think she cooked, if I'm not mistaken, for 22 and uh, did a wonderful job. And I praise God for a wife who's willing to put up with her husband, inviting everybody and anybody he can over to the house. And so I appreciate her and uh, praise the Lord. And uh, the food was good. I'll say that. The food was good. So she does a fine job. I'm not hiring her out, though. So. Hosea chapter 6. Is, everybody, is anybody else warm tonight? I'm dying. I'm going to take my coat off. The Lord will forgive me, all right? Hosea in chapter 6. <laughs> Brother Ben just, whoa, man, that guy is really built, all right? Ben, that's <laughs> it's a little odd. I know it, but all right. Very good. <laughs> Hosea chapter 6. Let's go and stand together. In reverence to the word of God, we need to get some reverence back into the service. Amen. Hosea chapter 6. The Bible says this in verse 1. It says, Come and let us return unto the Lord. For he hath torn, and he will heal us. He hath smitten, and he will bind us up. After two days will he revive us. In the third day he will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. Then shall we know, if we follow on to know the Lord... His going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. Let's pray. Father, I come to you tonight. Um, Lord, I ask you for your hand upon us this evening. Father, there's so many things in my heart, and Father, I, I know there's no way I can get them out and make the sense that you would have me to make unless you're in it. Father, I pray that you'd uh, be all over the service this evening, Lord, from the preaching to the hearing to the altar call. Lord, to walking out the doors tonight, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just touch our hearts. Father, I praise you for the privilege of preaching the Word of God. I praise you for having the freedom to preach the Word of God. What a wonderful blessing it is to have a country where we have the liberty to do so. Lord, I do pray that we'd see a revival in, in the latter days. And Father, that you would lift us up and that we'd see something very special from on high. I ask this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Hosea chapter 6 is written primarily to the Jewish people, but I do want us to see that God can revive us again. The Bible says after two, in verse 2, after two days will he revive us, in the third day will he raise us up and we shall live in his sight. If you've got your Bibles open, take them to Psalm 23 now with me. Psalm in chapter 23. And we'll look at verse number 5, and fellas, man, I'd encourage if you've got a jacket on, don't hesitate to take it off. It is very warm in here this evening, and do anything you can, well, within reason to stay awake. Psalm chapter 23, verse 5. The Bible says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Revi real revival isn't heard of much anymore. Um, too many times the blessings of God are spoken of 
when referring to monetary values, possessions, and social well-being. True blessings of God almost always have nothing to do with financial gain or notoriety. The Bible teaches us that many things are the blessings of God. He teaches us that a good wife is from the Lord. He teaches us that children are, 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 that walk in truth are, are a real blessing. We find in the Word of God that, that a walk with God is a blessing. We find that a true friend is a blessing. We find that a job, a career is a blessing. We find that a good church is a blessing. We find that the Word of God is a blessing. That's what's real. Salvation is a real blessing. Souls coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ is a real blessing. And folks, we need to get back to what the true meaning of revival is. You see, we've, we've lost the, the concept. Somewhere along the lines, we've allowed certain religions, denominations, certain teachers to hijack God's hand. And it's sad. It's sad as we have sought for what God never really truly intended. Now, don't get me wrong. There's, there's nothing wrong with finances. There's nothing wrong with wealth. There's nothing wrong with notoriety. But those truly are not the blessings of God. You can have all the money and notoriety in the world, but if you don't have a good spouse, you don't have a blessing of God. And we need to understand that. And, folks, we need to get back to seeking what is really true. You see, in verse 5 of Psalm 23, it says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. And then it says, My cup runneth over. My cup runneth over. I need us to get back tonight to real blessings. To real blessings. And I'm going to say this. If there's no revival, there's no blessings. No revival is no blessings. In many of us, folks, we have substituted the things of the world for the blessings of God. And shame on us. Shame on us that we've allowed that to happen. We're going to use our Bibles a good bit tonight, so keep them open, keep them ready. But take them with me now to Psalm in chapter 51. Psalm in chapter 51. The Bible says in Psalm in chapter 51 and verse 16, the Bible says this, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. We've looked at the last six to ten weeks on Wednesday nights at revival. We spent a lot of time talking about it. I'm not going to go into that this evening. and I don't want to revisit a lot of those things tonight. But folks, we're missing it. We're missing it in modern Christianity. Our concept of revival is so skewed. We, we sing uh, the song, that little chorus, the windows of heaven are open. are open. The blessings are falling tonight. And we look up to heaven and we're looking for the wrong thing. We don't see the hand of God because we don't know what to look for. And heaven help us, we've got to get back to a biblical perspective and we've got to understand what God is doing in our lives. 
The Bible teaches us that God is good to us. God does provide for us, but many of us have not seen the hand of God in our lives in far too long. And we're looking for the wrong thing. And we've got to get back tonight to a true meaning of revival. Psalm chapter 51, the Bible tells us that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. We don't have revival today because we have no broken hearts. People come into my office and God bless their hearts, but they ask me, why would God allow that in my life? They say things like, I can't believe God did that or that God caused that or, or even let that happen. And, and I look many times, and, and, and let me say this before I continue with the thought. Folks, I, I got to tell you, tonight if you go to Quick Trip and you buy 20 candy bars and you eat 20 candy bars, can I tell you what you're going to get? You're going to get an upset tummy. And many times we say, well, why did God let that happen? Because you ate 20 candy bars. Right? The reason you are spiritually sick, the reason your family is in a mess, look in the mirror before you look at God. Too many times you say, well, why? God, why? God said, son, I allowed that to happen, but you caused it. There is such a thing as the law of cause and effect. And many times we need to look no further than the man that's filling our shoes for the reason. And understand that tonight. But, but I want to say this. When's the last time that you or I came to God with a broken heart before we were in a mess? You see, it says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. When's the last time we came to God before we were in trouble and said, God, my heart is breaking because I desire to please you? When's the last time we got right with God just simply to get right with God? I look at this and, and we say, oh, Pastor, let's, let's see revival happen. Let's see God work in our midst. Good. I'm, I, I love that spirit and I want that desire. But do you have a broken heart? Because if we don't have a broken heart, we are not going to see God revive His work. People get spiritually faithful when they need God. Do you know when I get phone calls for help? When people need help. Hey, oh, pastor, I'll be there this Sunday. Could you help me? Why are you getting religious all of a sudden? You need God back in your life, don't you? You done got yourself into a mess, and you need the Lord to help you sort it out. But folks, I, and I'm not against that, and God allows those things. He allows us to go through difficult times to bring us back to Him. That's how God works, and that's what God does many, many times. But I, tonight, I'm not talking to us about that. And if, tonight, if you're going through a hard time, if you're going through a trial, man, get your heart broken. Break down in front of God, and you let Him work as He sees fit. But Christian, can I tell you right now, you say, hey, things are okay. We're, we're keeping our heads above water. You still need to have a broken heart before God. It says a broken heart is the sacrifice he desires, a broken spirit. And we come to God with our little arrogant hearts and we know what God wants and we know what God desires and we have the audacity to tell him no until sickness hits, until our job is lost, until an accident happens. And then we cry out to say God and say, God, God, I'll, I'll do whatever you want. No, 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 that's not right. God wants you to come to him with a broken spirit. God won't use you until your heart is broken. <laughs> Before I go any further, I remember a phone call, and Brother Doll, I think if I'm right, you took this phone call. Young man called several years ago, and he told us about his trials and his struggles and how he was trying to make it. And he said, I need some help, some financial help. My cable bill is due. 
We told him to leave his message at the sound of the click. Amen? But it's amazing. People that will not darken the door of the church, all of a sudden spiritually, oh, I need to get right with God. Why? Why? Why do we get a broken heart? Is it because we're trying to twist God's arm? That's the wrong spirit. That's the wrong attitude. Lord's not going to work as we see fit to make him work. I look at scripturally, and we have the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And we brought those fishes and loaves to Jesus. Do you know what Jesus did? He broke them and served. He broke them and served. You look at the alabaster box that was broken for the fragrance to escape and fill the void in the room. You see, until we're willing to come to God with a broken heart, God isn't going to use us. God is not going to come to you, gentlemen. God is not going to come to you, ladies. He is not going to come to you, and He's not going to snap you. He's not going to say, I will now use you as I see fit. Now, I will say this. There is such a thing as a sin unto death, and God says we should not pray for it. Those things will happen, and folks, sometimes that's the only good use out of us God gets. The only good use that God gets out of some of us is the gospel being preached at our funeral. And heaven forbid that should ever happen in a Christian's life. But it happened in Samson's life. The Bible says he killed more Philistines with his death than he did in his life. Samson was more good to God dead than he was alive. And shame on us if that's what God has to do. And we ought not to pray for that for anybody. We ought not to look for that for anybody. But what I desire for us to realize tonight is that we would have a broken heart and a contrite spirit and say, God, just God, I, I desire to see revival. I am coming to you with a broken heart. The story of Gideon, until the pitchers were broken and the trumpets sounded, And the torches were raised. I said the pitchers were broken. There was no deliverance. You see, the pitchers had to be broken. You say, but but, but I I, I like who I am. I like where I'm going. I like my life the way it is. Good, then God's not going to use you. Until you are willing to be broken for His use, broken and spilled. Our Savior was a picture of that. On the cross of Calvary, do you know that every single one of His bones was out of joint? His body was broken For us, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we partake of bread that is broken. Why? To symbolize what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. And tonight, I look at us as Christians and I wonder, do we have a broken heart? Do we have a broken heart over the the, the, the direction of our nation? Do we have a broken heart over the direction of our children? Do we have a broken heart concerning the lost souls in our area? I wonder tonight, do we have a broken heart? We say, God, send revival. He says, I want a broken heart and a contrite spirit. You say, but but, but God, I'm doing what I can. He said, your heart is not broken before me. Christian, tonight, do you come to him with a broken heart, asking for him to do something? Secondly, no revival, no blessings. There's no mourning for sin. In Jonah, in chapter 3, and take your Bibles over there. Jonah, in chapter 3. It's in the Old Testament. Give you time. Jonah, in chapter 3, beginning with verse 6, it says, For the word came unto the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth 
and sat in ashes. Now listen to this. This is a man who just got a message from Almighty God through a man by the name of Jonah. This is the king, the leader of Nineveh. Now I want you to understand what he does. First of all, he understands the gravity of the situation. And he sets aside his kingly robes. And he puts sackcloth on his body, a very rough, coarse fiber. And he sat down in ashes, the Bible says. But that's not enough. Verse 7 is where we pick it up. The Bible says, And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them and he did it not. I'm going to tell you tonight, the reason we're not seeing the blessings of God is because we're not having revival. We're not having revival. And the reason we're not having revival is we have no mourning for sin. You see, the king of Nineveh, a godless man. And folks, he was a godless man. That's, and I, we read that story too many times and we look at just Jonah. i got to tell you, there was a man who sat on a throne. There was a man who had some influence in people's life. And all of a sudden, he heard that his nation was going to be destroyed. And he fell down on his face. He got right with God. And he said, everybody underneath my influence will also get right with God. Hey, family tonight, hey, father, hey, mother, I wonder, those people under your influence, are they getting right with God because you mourn for sin? This man said, you will do as I say because I want to see if God will repent of the evil he has in store for us. And God spared that city for a hundred years because a king said, I am not too proud to get right with God and I am going to decree that the people underneath my influence get right with God. I wonder tonight if our homes and our families and our workplaces, you say, well, I wish our president would do that. Our president isn't in this room tonight. I wish he were. But I'll tell you, what about the people we influence in our lives? Are we saying we must mourn for sin? We must get right with God. We must put the violent things out of our hands. We have got to get things straight with the Lord. There was no mourning for sin. In Psalm in chapter 119 and verse 36, the Bible says, Rivers of water run down mine eyes because they keep not thy law. The king of Nineveh wept over his sin. In Psalm 119, David wept over their sin. Do you understand? You say, well, well, pastor, I'm not walking in anything real wicked tonight. I'm not walking in anything real evil tonight. You don't need to be. If your family is, if your husband is, if your wife is, if that church member next to you is, we need to come to a place where we mourn for sin. There was a young man that was a missionary through the Salvation Army. And this one was with uh, the founder, William Booth, was still alive. And he, he telegrammed Mr. Booth and he said, I I'm ready to quit. I'm ready to come home. He said, I've tried everything. I've given my life. I've put years in here. I've sacrificed. I have given all for my Savior. And William Booth telegrammed him back two words. He said, try tears. Try tears. And I wonder tonight, have we tried tears? You see, we have dry eyes because we have dry hearts. 
Oh, we cry when bad things happen. But what about crying for the sin of our lives, for the sin of our families, for the sin of our country? Oh, we cry when our kids go astray. We cry when disaster strikes. We cry when our marriage is ruined. When we, cry, we cry when a soul is made a castaway. But where were the tears when they could have helped? I'm reminded of the story as David sat there waiting for news of his son Absalom. You see, Absalom had, had brought a revolt against his father. Absalom had split the country right down the middle. There was a great rebellion, a great civil war had began, and there was a great battle that took place. But David had stayed back at the request of his own people that loved him. They said, you cannot go to battle. We cannot allow the light of our country, the light of Israel to perish. And David sat waiting on news about the battle. And he sat there patiently. The first runner came from the battle and he asked, is all well with my son? Is all well with the battle? The first runner said, all is well, did not know the story of what had taken place. The second runner comes, and David asks the same question. And he said, is all well with the young man? And that man looks at him, that second runner, and said, would to God that all that be is that young man that threatened thy life. He said, hey, Absalom's dead. David fell to his knees, and I can almost see it in my mind's eye, and began to weep and to wail. And he said, would to God I had died for thee, my son Absalom. And I wonder tonight, where were the tears, David, when it mattered? Soak the pillows now. Weep now. Pray grief-stricken now. You see, David, if you'll study the Scriptures, David had a very awkward relationship with his son Absalom. Absalom and David never saw eye to eye on things. Absalom was a strong-headed, bull-headed young man. And he, he, he seemed to always just bristle at his father. Yet there was a point in time when Absalom and David had a chance to reconcile. Absalom had slain Amnon. He had murdered him unjustly, by the way. Amnon deserved to die, but not by his brother's hand. Absalom took it upon himself. Absalom slew, or, uh, slew Amnon, and Absalom fled to his grandpa's house. David brought him back to the kingdom, but David refused to see his son and reconcile. Yet when Absalom dies, David as a father falls apart. You know why he fell apart? Because his son and he were not reconciled. He and his son were nothing more than bitter enemies. And I can promise you this, if there was one desire that David had, it was to reconcile to his son before his son died. And I look at that scripture and I wonder, David, where were the tears when your son came home? Where were the tears when Absalom tried to get right with you? Where were the tears at, David? And Christian tonight, I look at us and I say, hey, let's, let's weep now while we have a chance. Let's, let's come to the altars grief-stricken. Let's go to our prayer closets at home grief-stricken and cry out to God for a country that's in dire need of help. We need to get God's attention now rather than later. I prayed and thank God tonight for our liberty. You know when most Christians will pray for our liberty? When it's gone. We didn't realize it was like this. No, you all realized it was like this. We just didn't care because our little world was fine. As long as our little sphere is okay, as long as our money's all right, as long as we don't feel threatened, we don't say much, amen? You do know we're referred to as the silent majority. I said the silent majority. 
You can say amen. You, get, you know, feel like you're not part of that. Folks, what I wonder is where are God's people right now? Where are the tears now? Where is the grief now? Where is the brokenheartedness for sin now? You say, well, 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 well Pastor, I, I, I know I need to pray for our country. I know my heart needs to break for these things. I know I need to mourn for this. Then do it. Don't wait until our back is against the wall. Don't wait until our liberties have been stripped away. Don't wait until God has to get your attention and put you on your back or put you in a hospital bed or put you in a position. Go to God now and mourn for sin. We need to get God's attention. Now. Now. Not later. Don't rush to God with a letter and say, oh, God, you've got to do something right now. God, if you don't intervene right now, where were the tears when they mattered? Many times I've prayed after the matter and say, God, I wish I'd come to you before. Why didn't I? Why didn't I? I'm convinced today that I have a wife that I love dearly because my parents prayed for my spouse almost immediately after I was born. Parents, don't start praying for your child about two weeks before they get married. Oh, I hope that's the right one. I do too. But if you haven't prayed for 10 or 15 years, I'm going to tell you right now, you're trying to get God's attention. And folks, God doesn't say, oh, you want me right now? Oh, I'll put everything else on hold, and I'll be your personal slave, and I'll, oh, I'll just rub the magic lamp a couple more times, and I'll be right there. That's not how God works. God works through a process of time and a process of years, and sometimes even decades and lifetimes, God will work. And folks, i got to tell you, we are waiting until God shakes us up to do something, and heaven help us, that is wrong. Where are the tears now? There's no mourning for sin. I look at a heathen king in Nineveh, a heathen king who fell on his knees, a heathen king who humbled himself, a heathen king who made a spectacle of himself and said, you, my people, will also do this because we need to get God's attention and we need to see if he'll repent. You can go through this book and you'll find many times when God spared judgment because people came to God and said, God, I'll get right with you now. And God, the people that I can influence will also get right with you. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen? He didn't, he didn't say, well, God, I, I hope they do know God. Joshua said, God, we will. And my friend tonight, I wonder if in our hearts we have an ability to start mourning for sin. For our sin, for my sin, but also for the sins of others. God, God needs some of us to meet Nehemiahs and go to him and cry out for the sins of a nation. God needs some of us to take the responsibility and say, God, it is me that is coming to you on behalf of the United States of America because, God, if we don't have you, we're sunk. Well, I sure hope God blesses us. There's no blessings because there's no revival. And there's no revival because there's no mourning for sin. Thirdly, in 2 Chronicles in chapter 7, 14, and we use this many times on Wednesday nights in the last several months. The Bible says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. 
Thirdly, tonight, there's no condemnation of sin. There's no condemnation of sin. I said, number one, there's no broken hearts. Number two, I said, there's no mourning for sin. Number three, there's no condemnation of sin. In 2 Chronicles 7, 14, they're commanded to turn from their sin. In Hebrews, in chapter 1, verse number 8, the Bible says, But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Now listen, it says, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. He says, You have loved righteousness and hated iniquity. In Isaiah in chapter 5 and verse 20, and please listen, it says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. God says, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. Do you understand what many churches and denominations have done in the United States of America? We have got men and women, God help us, who have gotten behind pulpits as preachers, as leaders, and said, good is evil and evil is good. Shame on us. We wonder why we're in the mess we're in. Why? Because there's no condemnation of sin. Tonight, I want you to understand, I'm not for condemning the sinner. Every single soul in this world needs to be saved and by the grace of God can be saved. And I love that simple fact that any old sinner can get saved by the grace of Jesus Christ and God can work a new creation in them and they can become a child of God and He can take them from the depths and depravity of mankind and lift them to the heights of heaven. I love that. But my friend, there has to be a condemnation of sin. We have come to a place, not in our country, we have come to a place in what we refer to very calmly as Christianity, where we call evil good and good evil. God the Father looked down and said, Jesus, have I highly exalted because you love righteousness and hated iniquity. You see, in Christianity today, there's no revival, there's no blessings. Why? Because there's no condemnation of sin. We have stopped calling sin just that. You see, Billy Sunday made a statement. He said, sin flourishes because we treat it like a cream puff. We call it entertainment. We call it alternative lifestyles. We call it a guilty pleasure. We call it a fun thing. We call it exciting we say it's not really that bad. We, we say it's not a big deal. We say, oh, it's, it's just a good time. We say, oh, it's good memories. We, we sold our wild oats. We were just being young and foolish and harebrained. But I'll tell you what God calls it, sin. And it will condemn people to hell. And yet we say, well, we, we wouldn't want to be hard on that. Why? God is. Folks, if we don't show people their transgressions, why do they need to get right with God? And again, I am never for condemning any individual or person. We ought never to condemn them because of their sin. That's God's job. But I have every right by the authority of the Scriptures, if God called it sin, I can call it sin. And if God called it righteousness, I can call it righteousness. I have that authority. You have that authority. And it's about time God's people said, Hey, Lord, we want to see your hand of blessing again. Hey, God, we want revival again. God, we're going to start saying what you say is wrong. Wrong is wrong. Huh. What do you think about that? 
God, sin is sin. You say, well, uh, it, it, just, it just doesn't fly in our country today. Folks, until we are willing to cry aloud and spare not and lift up a vo- our voice like a trumpet and show our people their transgressions, God is going to say, I'm waiting on you, son. In 2 Timothy in chapter 4, we are commanded to preach the word and to be instant in season and out of season. Reprove and rebuke and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And yet, where is it in Christianity today? Where are God's people who says, Hey, I love you with all of my heart, but that is sin. And I will comfort you, I will help you, I will welcome you, but that is wrong. And we're not saying it because it's how we feel. We're not saying it because it's my opinion. We're saying it because God did. Homes are being destroyed. Marriages are being wrecked. Children's lives are being ravaged. And left for ruin because of sin. Because of sin. Lying is sin. Stealing is sin. Nakedness is sin. Laziness is sin. Gossip is sin. Hate is sin. Bitterness is sin. Fornication is sin. Foolishness is sin. And by the way, the thought of foolishness is sin. Slander is sin. Homosexuality is sin. Rebellion is sin. Disobedience is sin. Pornography is sin. Causing discord among the brethren is sin. Drunkenness is sin. And I know some of you out there tonight, you look and say, well, well, what's your problem? Haven't you ever done those things? Yes, I have. And I hate it. Because I... Because of sin, we have disease. We have wars. We have natural disasters. We have plagues. We have death. Let's call it what it is. Folks, our world is in the mess it's in today because of sin. And we have soft-soaped it. We have walked away from it. We have said, well, we wouldn't want to be offensive. I'll tell you what's offensive. Sin. Sin's why our world is cursed. Sin is why there's death. If you want to know why people die, it's because of sin. You say, why did God take that man? He was only 50 years of age. It wasn't God. It was sin. We have saddled God with what sin created. How dare we? And yet we have the audacity to look and say, well, it's it's just the way we do things today. No, it's sin. Call it what it is. Speak the truth in love, but call it what it is. We have just gotten so scared of saying, well, I'll tell you what that is. You say, well, well, you you just don't like those people. No, I don't have a problem with those people. They have a soul that needs to be saved. They have a right to get the grace of God and become spiritually born again and sit in heaven one day as a child of God praising His name. But I need to call sin, sin. I need to stop pretending it isn't and call it what it is. I look at us, and I look at God. God's blessings are ready. The Bible teaches us that God is able. You know, the Bible also teaches us that God is willing. So what's the problem? It's God's people won't see revival. Why? No condemnation of sin. We've walked away from our duty. Folks, can I tell you, government is not the moral conscience of a nation. God's people are. We stopped proclaiming right and wrong. 
You say, well, well, God is the one who decides. Of course he is. But God gave us mouths to proclaim his word. I know, some of you get real technical. Well, 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 God is the one who decides. And I know God's the one who decides. But God put us here to be lights to the world. He's put us here to be salt in the earth. And he says, if the salt has lost its savor, it is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under foot of men. What that means is God looks down tonight at a lot of Christians who claim the name of his son, who claim the blood of Jesus, and says you ought to be thrown out and trampled because you do nothing except break my heart. And folks, I look at us tonight. We say, oh, God, I want you to bless us. God, bless America. Land that I love. We don't mean it. Because we don't see revival. Why don't we see revival? No broken heart. No tears for sin. No condemnation of what has caused all the problems. If you look at the church in the book of Acts, You'll see that it was a church that was under persecution. You'll see that it was a church that had its fair share of distress. You'll find a church that went through troubled times. But in the middle of that, you'll see a church that had God's hand. The church is made up of God's people. And I wonder tonight, do we really want to see our cup running over. We quote that psalm, don't we? I think most of us tonight, if I were to repeat that, we could say all six verses, most of us without a problem. David said, surely in goodness, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Huh. Where is it? Where is it? I'm afraid that the Christians who are to be lights that are set on a hill have put their light underneath a bushel. We've hid our light. We've kept our salt. And God says, I'll shut heaven. In Hosea, our text for tonight in chapter 6, he's the God of the latter rain. He's the God of the last blessing. He's the God of one more generation. In Jonah, he came to God. In chapter 3, the word of God came to Jonah a second time. God's willing to give us a little more time. God's willing to give us another generation. God's willing to be gracious to us. But God's people have got to come to a place where they have a broken heart. And folks, i got to tell you, we have got so comfortable in our sad sack Christianity, and it bothers me. As I've studied revival, I have looked at today what we call being right with God. And I've got to tell you, as long as we wear the right clothes and we have to carry the right Bible, and we do this and we do that, we can check mark a few things, we are right with God. Amen? Help us, man. We ought to be on our faces, and we ought to have a broken heart. We ought to have a spirit that breaks for our sin and for the sins of others. We say, well, I just, I just, I just, I'm just not a person who sheds tears. What's wrong with you? Jesus wept. One whole verse in the Bible is devoted to that truth. Jesus wept. I think one of the mightiest men without 
being God in flesh, to ever walk the face of the planet was a man by the name of David. David could kick men's tails without even trying. He was a warrior king. God wouldn't let him build the temple because he killed so many people. Sometimes we look at David as this little guy with that little white robe, with that little thing on his head, playing his little harp, writing a psalm. David did write some psalms. But brother, I'll tell you this, David did it after he killed a bear and had blood on his hands. And he said, man, God just gave me a good idea. I better write it down. David was a mighty man. He was a godly man. And David, the Bible teaches us, wept. He wept. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. And we say, well, well, we're just not that kind of individuals. Then we're not right with God. And then lastly, we don't condemn sin. We don't condemn sin. Folks, I'm, I'm, again, I'm not sitting up. I'm not, I'm not forgetting up here and saying, ah, this is what you need to do according to me. I'm sorry, but, but St. Andrew, chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3, and I'm working on chapter 4, aren't going to be in glory land. All right? The gospel Andrew ain't going to cut it. And I'm not here to preach that tonight. I'm not here to tell you what I think is sin. I'm here to tell you that what God says is sin. Brother, it is. And it's time that we say this is wrong. This is wrong. Folks, I'm going to be honest with you. Our church, we take anybody. I mean it. We don't turn anybody away. We probably should. But we don't. We've been a church through the years. We're one of the first churches to get a phone call about helping people. You know why? Because we help people. Not everybody. We didn't help the guy get his cable turned back on, but we help people. I know some of you say, oh, man, that's terrible. That man barely lived without cable. He pulled through, thank God. I could tell you more and you'd really enjoy it, but you can't. It just, it's, it's kind of one of them pastor confidentiality deals. Folks, we got to get right with God. Pastor, why doesn't God bless us? Why doesn't God bless my life? I want God to bless my family. We need revival. And if you want revival, you need a broken heart. You need some tears to fall out of your eyeballs once again. Not for you. Woe is me, God. No, no, no. For sin. In your life. And in the life of others, in the life of your nation. And lastly, Christians need to stand up and condemn it. I, I've taken enough time. Let's stand to our feet. a hymn writer by the name of Robert Robinson and he wrote a great hymn, a hymn that we sing from time to time but he penned the words, prone to wander, Lord I feel it, prone to leave the God I love here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above it's an interesting story behind that song, behind those words Robert Robinson was a young man, a young preacher when he penned those words. Late in his life, the story goes, he's sitting in a stage and he's riding from one distant city to another. And in that stage, there was a young lady. And the young lady was 
kind of humming a tune. And then she began to read the words of the song. And Robert Robinson, as the story is told, begins to weep. He'd walked away from the God he loved. That hymn that he wrote was prophetic in his own life. You say, Pastor, how could someone who... Beautiful hymn. Beautiful hymn. I love the words. I love the melody. How could a man who's walking with God, how could someone who is right there that God gave such an ability to, how could they walk away from God? No broken heart. No tears for sin. No condemnation of it. Folks, tonight, I want to see God bless. But to see God bless, we've got to see God revive. To see God revive, God needs his people to get some things straight. As the instruments begin to play, the Lord's laid something on your heart, you come to the altar. Folks, can I just ask, in some of our lives, what is God going to have to do to get a hold of us? I think I can say, and I'm guilty of it as well, I'm not the Christian I ought to be. What's God going to have to do to get my attention? That, that question, it bothers me. I'm a worry ward, amen? I know the Bible says you ought not to worry, and I try not to, but God knows I do. Just confess to sin openly. It'll be all right. Don't beat me to death with it. But sometimes I look, and God convicts my heart, and I wonder, is God going to have to shake up my household? Is God going to have to take something that I hold dear to my heart and dear to his? 
I've listened to men give testimonies how God had to take their wife or had to take a child for them to repent. I don't want that. I don't want that for you. I've been in hospital rooms where a mom or a dad says, oh man, this is my fault. I'm not God, I'm not going to interfere. That's between them and the Lord. But I would never want that thought to even cross my mind. If God does something, I want it to be God's will, not God saying, hey, wake up. Hey, wake up. Folks, tonight, I just, I'm hard, I've been hard on you tonight. I love you. That's why I'm hard on you sometimes. But what's it going to take? I don't want to be begging for God's mercy because I have someone in a hospital bed that I love that needs it. I don't want to have to walk by a casket and say, boy, God, I wish I'd prayed for them more while they were alive. I don't want that guilt on my conscience. I want to be right with God. Folks, tonight, I just beg you, what's it going to take for us to break down and say, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. This generation of Christians, we have hard hearts. I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of it, okay? I'm not, I'm not pointing the finger. If I do, it's, it's right here. But folks, we've got to come to a place where we want God enough to do what God asks. It's not fancy. In fact, it's a little humiliating. But it's what God wants. And folks, I just pray that our hearts would be touched enough to do something, please. Let's be dismissed with a word of prayer. Please don't forget about Anniversary Sunday next week, an afternoon service, all right? I'm throwing everything.